Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. World Outreach Week concludes with a message about how Jesus is responding to our prayers, even while we wait for his return. Let's listen now. Heavenly Father, right here in your presence today, you know we are looking to hear from you and from your word. God, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your word, that you would show us who you are, that you would teach us what it is that you want from us. God, we seek to know you and to align our lives with your purposes for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this week we come back to the question, what is God doing while we wait for our coming Lord? As you think back to the scientists who were waiting on images from the James Webb Space Telescope, they had to wait a long time to get those images. The James Webb Space Telescope, or JWST, was launched in December of 2021. It made its way to an orbit a million miles away from Earth and unfolded itself in space. The James Webb Space Telescope has a 20-foot diameter mirror on it that is looking at infrared light. And so after it unfurled, it started sending back pictures to Earth. And these pictures are of astounding quality. I want to show you the image of another galaxy, a spiral galaxy. This is not our galaxy. The James Webb Space Telescope took that picture of another galaxy, astounding levels of detail. But scientists really had to wait a long time to get these images, what was happening while they were waiting. You see, the James Webb Space Telescope began to be under planning in the early 90s. In 1996, scientists estimated they would certainly be able to launch that telescope by the year 2007. And it is now 15 years when it finally started sending back images that the space telescope was in space and sending back images. What was happening in all of that time? Well, Engineers were working, scientists were studying, and they were problem-solving because the James Webb Space Telescope relied on technology that didn't exist when they decided to start the project. Important work was going on. Scientists were working, engineers were working, people were solving problems. Important work was being done. Now, we're waiting. We are waiting for Jesus to return. Jesus rose from the dead, and the Bible tells us, and we know that he ascended into heaven. And we are waiting for Jesus to return, because when Jesus returns, there's things for him to do. When Jesus returns, he's going to finally defeat evil. He is going to refashion the cosmos. He's going to grant us eternal life with him forever. We will be resurrected. We're waiting for Jesus to return. What's God doing while we're waiting? 
The Bible tells us that while we wait, God works. In fact, in John chapter 14, as Jesus told his disciples that he would be leaving them, he told them, I will return and there is work that I will be doing, that God will be doing in between now and then. And we began studying that work. We've learned from John chapter 14 so far that while we are waiting, Jesus is preparing a place for us. And while we are waiting, Jesus is revealing God the Father to us. Now this week, as we turn back to John 14 again, what we are going to discover is that while we are waiting, God is working through us and through our prayers. In fact, in John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, Jesus suggests this to his followers, that he is going to be empowering their prayers in a new way. In those verses we read, these are the words of Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow, that's a promise from Jesus, isn't it? And Jesus is saying, because I am going to the Father, I will be empowering your prayers in a different way. Now, what does he mean by that? You see, we have to go back, actually, to understand it to before Jesus' birth. We have to go back to the beginning of John, John chapter 1, where we discover that before Jesus was born, he was the eternal Word of God, the Son of God, fully God and fully divine. And then as we continue to study, Jesus, the Word of God, the Son of God, is incarnated. He is made flesh in Jesus. And when he is made in flesh in Jesus, he is now fully God and fully human. And as we look at the life of Jesus on earth, we come to see and recognize that in his incarnation, in his life on earth, Jesus accepted some, some limitations. There are certain limitations that go along with being human. Jesus needed things in his humanity, like food and sleep. And Jesus was limited in certain ways. In, in Jesus' human incarnation, he was in one place at one time, instead of being in all places simultaneously. And as we study the Gospels, we recognize that Jesus himself says on multiple occasions that there are things that in his humanity, Jesus does not know. And now Jesus says, I am going to be with the Father. And after his resurrection and in his glorification, seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, he is not limited in the same way that he was during his earthly ministry. And so Jesus says, I will now be hearing and empowering your work and your prayers in a whole new way. 
Which leads us then to four truths about how Jesus empowers our prayers while we wait. Four truths about how Jesus empowers our prayers while we wait. Truth number one that he tells us in John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, he says, is that Jesus empowers the prayers of whoever believes in him. Jesus empowers the prayers of whoever believes in him. Now, as you're reading through it the first time, this comes as astounding news because in verse 12, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, and I don't know about you, but the first thing that I read is whoever, and I kind of stop right there, whoever, that is good news, whoever. Jesus is saying, right, that he empowers, he hears the prayers of whoever And that's incredibly good news, but you have to keep reading because he says, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, there is an empowerment of the prayers of those who believe in him. Now, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? We've talked about this before. To believe in Jesus means to believe certain things about Jesus, that he is who he says he is. But to believe in Jesus also means to trust in him and to have a trust that leads to action. It means to have faith in him, a faith that leads to obedience. And so Jesus is saying to us here that he hears and empowers the prayers of whoever believes in him, trusts in him, has faith in him. That's whose prayers he hears and empowers. Which brings us to truth number two, because we recognize now that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And truth number two is Jesus empowers his disciples to do his work through prayer, to do his work through prayer. Because look what Jesus says. Jesus says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Wow, we get to do Jesus' work. And the gospel according to John makes it clear what Jesus' work is. Jesus' work is to teach. Jesus teaches us about who God is and what the kingdom of God is like. And he says to us, I'm going to empower you to do that, to teach what the kingdom of God is and to call people to faith in me. I'm going to empower your prayers that you might teach in my name. On top of that, John makes it clear that Jesus lays down his life as part of his work. He lays down his life for his people. And we recognize that laying down his life doesn't simply come to his act of self-sacrifice on the cross. Jesus lays down his life by serving his people. And he's telling us we will do the same thing. We will serve people. We will demonstrate the love of Christ. And when we do, he will empower our work of serving and loving others sacrificially. Jesus also, in the gospel according to John, does wonders and signs, and these wonders and signs have a function. They have a purpose. They bring glory to God, and they demonstrate Jesus' own divinity and draw people to Jesus. And Jesus says, you're going to do that. You are going to do things that bring honor and glory to God and draw people to me. So what is Jesus saying to us here? He is saying, He empowers us, his disciples, to teach the truth about the kingdom of God, to serve people sacrificially and lovingly, to bring glory to God and to draw people to faith in Jesus. He's going to empower us to do that because that's his work. 
But then we come to a promise that's even more astounding, a truth that ought to rock us to our core. Truth number three is that Jesus empowers his disciples through prayer to do greater works, to do greater works. Did you see what he said? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. And we know the things that Jesus did. Jesus is the one who turns water into wine. Jesus is the one then who walks on water, who feeds the crowds with next to nothing. Jesus is the one who calms the storms and they obey him. Jesus is the one who heals. He is the one who casts out demons. He is the one who raises the dead. These are the things that Jesus has done. And then Jesus says, you will do these things and you will do greater works than these. Now, is Jesus saying that we're going to work miracles like he did? Well, one of the things that you know if you've been around the Christian movement, particularly around the world for very long, is that God continues to do things that defy natural explanations. When you're around the Christian movement for long enough, you are going to see things happen that you cannot explain naturally. Yes, God still works miracles in our day. But what Jesus is referring to as well is the fact that after his resurrection, what is possible is of an entirely different order than what was possible before. After Jesus' death and resurrection, his disciples have the ability to offer something new in his name. After Jesus' death and resurrection, we can offer forgiveness of sin. We have the ability to offer people in Jesus Christ new life and being adopted as sons and daughters of God. We have the ability to say to people that in Jesus' name, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and your life changed from the inside. You can be made a part of the church such that you always have a family of faith in brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can offer the fact that people will experience resurrection and eternal life with God someday, and that is greater. That is greater. Beyond that, we know that in the church today around the world, there are no longer dozens or hundreds or thousands of people sharing faith in Christ. There are millions of people giving glory to God and drawing people to faith in Christ. That's greater. That's greater. And Jesus says, you will do greater works than me. Truth number four is Jesus empowers prayers his disciples pray in his name. Jesus empowers prayers his disciples pray in his name. Now, please understand this. That is not Jesus offering us a magical incantation that we can use at the end of a self-centered prayer in order to get our way. So, for instance, I cannot in this moment pray, dear God, cause a bag of gold to appear on this table in front of me right now in Jesus' name. Nope. Still nope. Jesus is not offering us a magical incantation that we can use. What does it mean then to pray in Jesus' name? To pray in Jesus' name means to pray in fellowship with Jesus Christ. He calls us into a relationship with him. 
To pray in Jesus' name means to pray in the, in the will of Jesus for the things that Jesus does. And so when we pray in fellowship with Jesus Christ, in obedience to Jesus Christ, that he will do what it is that he does and that his will will be done in this world, that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And Jesus says he will hear and empower the prayers of us, his disciples, when we pray in Jesus' name. So now as we take these truths about how Jesus empowers the work and the prayer of us, his followers, we have to begin to apply that to our lives. And I want to suggest to you three action steps today that we can take based on what Jesus is saying to us here in John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Action step number one is pray for the world mission. It's World Outreach Week. You, you guys saw this one coming, right? Pray for the world mission. Some of you are like, I don't even know what World Missions Week is here at Valley. That's okay. Pray for the world mission. I want to invite you to do this. In John chapter 9, Jesus did something great. In John chapter 9, we read that Jesus gave sight to a man born blind. The Bible tells us it's the kind of thing that was never done. Miracle workers and healers would occasionally be able to give sight to a person that had lost it, but no one had ever given sight to a person born blind. Jesus did that in John chapter 9, and he did it to give glory to God, to point out his own divinity and to draw people us included, to faith in him. What Jesus did in John chapter 9 is great. That is Jesus's work. But through the world outreach mission that we have, we have opportunities to see Jesus do greater works. And it's hard to think of the fact that there is greater work to be done. But let's go back again to that man born blind. And I want you to think for just a moment about what it would be like to be that man born blind, to have sight given to you for the first time in your life, to think what that would be like. For the first time in your life, after feeling the sun on your skin all your life, for the first time in your life, to be able to look and see what sunshine really looks like. Can you imagine that? To be born blind and to be raised by a mother and father, to never see their faces, and then for your eyes to be open and to see your mother and your father for the first time. To see bread, to see trees, to see a stone that you've held in your hand. Can you imagine what that would be like? That's great. That's great. The man born blind, in all likelihood, enjoyed the gift of sight for the rest of his life. But at some point, the man born blind died. If he had come to faith in Jesus Christ, though, he has the gift of eternal life. And if he has the gift of eternal life, he will one day be resurrected. And in the resurrection, he will stand in the new creation in New Jerusalem. 
And he will look with entirely new eyes. That's greater. That's greater. To change someone's life here and now, to change their circumstances radically, that's great. But to change someone's eternity, that's greater. And the world mission that we have works in the fullness of what it means to do Jesus' work that is great and to do greater things still. On the world mission field today, we have deployed people around the globe, changing lives, sharing Jesus, and calling people to faith. We are slowly, one at a time, penetrating every single ethno-linguistic people group on earth with missionaries with the good news equipped with the word of God to share it with people. As they go, they are serving people. They are changing lives. They are giving signs that point to God's glory and that bring people to faith in Jesus. That's great. And as they go, they are sharing the good news about Jesus. And as they do so, people are coming to faith in Christ and finding forgiveness for their sin. They get a new life in Christ. They're adopted as sons and daughters of God. People who, were, who had been in open rebellion against him are now called my child, my beloved child. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're given power for living. They're incorporated into a church where they belong, and they have in front of them the promise of eternal life, resurrection in the new creation at the end. That's greater. That's greater. And we are deploying people by the millions around the world doing this in Jesus' name now. That's greater. That's greater. Now, what does this look like? What does it look like? I want you to know right now that we have people in northern Syria and Turkey. You've heard that there was a devastating earthquake in northern Syria and in Turkey. Many, many lives were lost. And you know that the devastation behind it is, is terrible. I want you to see just one quick scene of what that looks like. This is what that looks like in one place. Now, we have to be very discreet here because the bad guys are listening too, okay? But we have people there. We have people there. We have churches that exist in these places filled with ardent followers of Jesus Christ. And they lost their homes, and they lost people as well. We have people near there who have been able since then to go into that area. Am I speaking obliquely but clearly at the same time? And they go in and they, they change people's lives. Their circumstances here and now, they bring water, they bring food, they offer counsel for grief, hope in the midst of hopelessness, they bring supplies that are needed, they pray, they change people's lives here and now. That's great. And they offer something far deeper 
in Jesus Christ. I want you to hear the firsthand account of one of our World Outreach partners speaking about what happened when they went into the region. This is from one of our partners. A group from our church has been ministering in the earthquake zone the past week. Slowly, families began to trust us and explain their sorrows to us. Some told about their siblings, others their parents, others their children who were buried under the debris. An older woman came and painfully stated, it is children who should bury their parents. It is very hard for parents to bury their children. She began to explain that she had found a family photo album among the wreckage. Her son and daughter had lost their lives. She was a very observant Muslim woman. She asked us where we were from and who we were. We explained, honestly, that we were from the church. The lady responded, let it be, let it be, come sit. We love the prophet Jesus too. Pray that those who are lost might be found. This religious woman asked us to lay hands on her and pray. You see, God is working, and eternities are changing. And that's what Jesus meant when he said that we would do even greater works than these. And so that's why I want you to pray. Pray for the world mission and pray that God does even greater works than he did in the life of Jesus. Pray that God will change eternity for people because you see, we are talking to God who in Jesus Christ is the one who walked on the water, who changed the water to wine, who raised the dead. It's this Jesus we're talking to. And he says, I will do greater works than these through you. Let us pray diligently for our world outreach partners. Let us pray that God, through the world mission, will do greater works now in this day than he's done even in the past. And when I say pray, I don't mean just right now and today. Pray. Make a covenant to pray with and for our world outreach partners and with and for those about the world mission. Pray for the world mission. The second action step that we have, though, is we pray for revival. We pray for revival. You probably have seen in the news by now that there was a renewal, a special worship service at Asbury University. It happened after just a chapel. At the end of chapel, some people stayed, and they kept singing, and they kept praying, and they kept teaching, and pretty soon people began to come, and the crowd grew, and people were praising God, and they were confessing sin, and they were finding new vibrancy in their relationship with Jesus Christ. They were coming to faith for the first time, and this worship service went on 24 hours a day for weeks before ending. And since then, that that movement has spread to other places around the country. Other renewal movements have sprung up on other college campuses and in other places. And it's so exciting to see. I can't say it's the beginning of another great revival movement in our country, but I can't say that it's not. And the beautiful thing is that it's happening among our young people. 
And perhaps it will reshape our entire view of Generation Z. Generation Z is our youngest generation. If you're accustomed to thinking about generations, you've probably heard of some generations. The greatest generation, those who fought World War II, the baby boomers, their children. Generation Z represents people who were born between 1997 and 2012. Generation Z is entering adulthood now. And the prognosticators will tell you, you don't have to look very hard to find worrisome signs about Generation Z. Just go Google it, and you'll be inundated with articles. People are worried about Generation Z, and with Good cause, because as we look at Generation Z, they're experiencing depression and anxiety in greater numbers, greater percentages, and greater frequency than any generation that we know about. And having been shaped by digital technology that you can hold in your hand, they are struggling. They're struggling to take initiative and to enter into relationships. So everybody is saying that Generation Z is in desperate trouble. But at the same time, at the same time, Generation Z has already proven that it is the most spiritually curious generation in a very long time. And Generation Z is spiritually curious because unlike any previous generation in memory, they look around at the material world and they say, that can't be all there is. There must be something more. There must be something spiritual. So they're spiritually curious, and they're spiritually open. And they don't just automatically accept anybody's given answers, but they're searching, and they're curious, and they're open to conversation. And is it not amazing that God would cause a renewal movement to begin springing up in Generation Z? Pray that God will bring revival in our day, here and now, for God to bring revival in our land, in our day, here and now, among Generation Z, would take a miracle. It would take Jesus doing a greater work than has been done in generations. But God is in the business of doing greater works than have been done in the past. This is God who parts the waters and causes the sun to be still in the sky. This is God who causes bread to rain down. God does greater works. And praying for revival among our youngest generation here and now is a prayer that you can pray in Jesus' name. Because it's in fellowship with him, it's in obedience to him, and it looks like it's in his will. Can we pray for revival here and now in Jesus' name? The third action step I want to encourage you to take is pray that God will use you to impact the world for Christ. Pray that God will use you to impact the world for Christ 
I want you to think back to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. He said, whatever you ask in my name, if you ask. You say, well, Jesus was probably talking to the 11 disciples there in the upper room with him. And he was. He was saying to them, whatever you ask, if you ask. But he was speaking beyond them across the centuries to all of his disciples. All of my disciples, whatever you ask, if you ask, he's speaking to us, to you and to me, whatever you ask, if you ask. Jesus is speaking to us. Now, here and now, we understand our calling as a church very clearly. Our calling is to cultivate disciples who impact the world for Christ. We know what the work is. We do the cultivating. We till the soil and prepare the conditions such that disciples can grow up in this soil. But the vision is that all of these disciples will then impact the world for Christ, impact our world, this place that we live in, here and now for Christ. You say, okay, wait, what, what does that look like? Well, our partners at Hartford City Mission show us what that looks like. I don't know if you have paid attention to all the numbers that have come at you in the past week about what God has done through our world outreach partners. But if you drill down into those numbers, you're going to find some amazing things happened in the past year at Hartford City Mission. 73 students and 13 adults accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord for the first time in the past year. Uh, that's a triumph. That is a thing to celebrate. I want you to understand what that means is happening because this is what impacting the world for Christ looks like. It, it means that the people working at Hartford City Mission understand the work of Jesus because it means that they are creating a place where students can come. And when they come, they feel safe, they're cared for, they're seen, they're listened to, they're fed, they're taught, they're shepherded. That's a great thing. The people at Hartford City Mission are changing students' lives here and now, today. That's great. Because they're changing people's lives here and now, the students are listening and the people at Hartford City Mission are doing the work of Jesus. They are teaching about the kingdom of God. They're serving these students selflessly in Jesus' name. They're giving signs that bring glory to God and drawing these students to Jesus Christ. And that means that students are hearing the good news and they are finding forgiveness and their lives are being changed to new life and they are being adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. Holy Spirit is dwelling with them and continuing to sanctify them. They are now brothers and sisters in Christ fitted into the church and their destiny is resurrection and eternal life with God forever. And that's greater. And that's what it looks like to impact the world for Christ. We change people's lives here and now. That's great. And we offer them eternity in Jesus Christ. And that is greater. God has something to do in this era while we wait. 
And we've heard what it is that God is doing during this time. God is preparing a place for us. God is revealing himself to us. God is empowering our work and our prayers. He's God. It doesn't take 2,000 years to do that. He's God. He made the world in seven days. He doesn't need 2,000 years to prepare an eternal place for us. So you have to ask, what is God really doing? What God is really doing in this time where we wait is he is depopulating hell and populating the eternal kingdom of God. There's something for God to do. And as there is something for God to do, there's something for you to do. You say, who, me? Yes, you, 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 me. There's something for you to do. God is working. God is working to depopulate hell and to populate the eternal kingdom of God. And God can do that all on his own. But God chooses to use you and to use me. So as God has something to do, there's something for you to do. How will God use you to impact the world for Christ? Pray. Pray that God will impact the world for Christ through you. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.